Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to another edition of the Action Network podcast. This will be another NFL edition. I am Chris Raybon of the Action Network. And today, got a big episode for you guys. Really excited about our guest today. We're going to be talking NFC win totals and futures. Sean Corner is with me as well, but I am happy to welcome in NFL Network's Cynthia Freeland. You can catch her on Game Day Morning and Fantasy Live. Cynthia, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I know you're out there in the midst of training camp right now. You're, you're a Lions fan. Just talked to Matthew Stafford. How's everything going out of camp? Camps are great because, well, first of all, every single team is full of hope. Like everyone's like, we're going 12 and four. No, like nothing less than that. Right. So everyone's in like a really good mood. And you also get to see like some of the, the rookies start to become part of the rotation. Who's actually having a chance to start. Like yesterday I was at Chiefs camp and I got a chance to learn that I think Juan Thornhill, who's the safety that they drafted out of Virginia, I think he's actually going to become the starter, which that was a bit of a surprise just because they have the veteran with Daniel Sorensen and obviously they brought in Tyron Matthew. So it just was interesting that, you know, he and and Tyron wants you to call him baby T now. So he and baby T are going to be the starters likely. (laughs) Any surprise cuts you're thinking of like before week one or? I don't know. I I think we got to monitor this Melvin Gordon situation pretty closely because I don't actually think the Chargers, like I was at Chargers camp and it didn't feel like they had a sense of urgency around it. Like when you went, I was at both Cowboys and Chargers camps and the Cowboys were like, oh, this is getting done. Like Zeke's going to get done. Like we'll figure it out. Right. And then with the Melvin Gordon stuff, they're like, yeah, we'll probably trade him. Like it just was like, just a totally different vibe. It's really kind of killing us in fantasy. Speaking of fantasy, Sean, how you doing? Good, good. Cynthia, I can safely keep drafting Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson way too early, right? Yeah. The thing that you always kind of, or I always kind of forget, right, is like Anthony Lynn obviously knows way too much about the running back position. So, you know, this is a spot where he's in the running back room with them. Like, you know, head coaches go in different spots, right? Like I'm here in Detroit, Matt Patricia hangs out with the defense. So there's just a, you have to remember each one has like a different vibe. So their belief about like what someone should be or how it should, how it should look is really based on whatever their coach's philosophy is. So I, I agree. Like, I do think the Austin Exeter, I obviously like I'm a little bit of a Jackson apologist. I went to Northwestern. So like, I obviously, I like, I, I'm a little biased there, but you know, I, I do think when it comes to Austin Eckler, especially that I don't know if you're going to overdraft him. Well, it depends on how high you take him, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, Eckler's going, I think, around the 70th pick now. Jackson's still at 130. So I'm starting to kind of load up on Jackson. I was already loading up mm-hmm. on Eckler uh, a little earlier in the offseason. So Cynthia, let us get right into it with some questions for you, because again, we're going to be talking all about the NFC today. So we talked a little bit about the Lions, but just for everyone out there, explain a little bit of your background, how you got interested in NFL data science and how it led you to, to kind of doing what you're doing now. That's a, like an interesting question because sometimes I'm like, how did that happen? Ultimately, I was working in banking and then 
I cold emailed the CFO of the NFL at the time. This was like 10 years ago. His name is Anthony Noto. He went to Twitter. He's a lot of other places now. He's at SoFi. But I emailed him being like, where do all the smart people work when they're like done with banking? They don't want to necessarily do banking, but they want to do something interesting. And I always loved sports. Obviously, like Barry Sanders made me a, a Lions fan. I had, if you're ever, and if anyone listening is like from the Michigan area, there's a grocery store chain called Meyer, And they have goldfish there. So my dad used to like bribe me, right? Like if you go to this game with me, I'll buy you a goldfish and whatever. So I was like, great, I'll go to the game and get goldfish. They were all named Barry Sanders, right? So it really started with that. And growing up in East Lansing, you know, I grew up with Michigan State and Michigan just like everywhere. So when I got the chance to work at the NFL, when Anthony Noto was nice enough to let me come work in finance for him, um, I started working on a season inventory project, which was trying to optimize. It's coming up right now, actually. It's kind of timely. Uh, is 16 and four the right configuration? 18 and two, 17 and what? Like, what? How many games do we need to optimize revenue? Remember, at that time, there were no teams in LA. So it was like, how do we move a team to LA? And I got a chance to work with a competition committee. And doing that, I found out I really liked sitting in dark rooms watching football with coaches who were super passionate about it. And you get to eat a lot of snacks and you get to swear. So like the whole thing was perfect. So I figured out that I was good at, at translating what was going on in the field to like dollars. I learned how to code and I, I got a chance to see like, wow, like computer science can like supercharge that. And then I got a chance to learn a bit more about like computer vision and all these things. And I've just like been able to piece that together in that sort of way. That's like the very beginnings of it. And then I had some weird meandering road, like I went and did finance for Disney. And then I ended up at ESPN owned by Disney doing innovation. And then Paul DiBodesta got hired and DraftKings became this big deal. And then they they needed on TV, there was demand. And I was really lucky to be like well-prepared, but also like in the right place at the right time. So that's kind of how that all began. It's a really long story, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's awesome. And I'm with you. I mean, I actually got into this industry by cold, uh, cold emailing Numberfire, just trashing one of their fantasy articles. And uh, here I am. So I totally hear you. Sean, I mean, I feel like we got to hear, you know, a little quick summary. If you're listening to this, you've heard me tell my background story a lot, but I'll just make it brief. From the age of uh, eight, I was destined, you know, to do something in fans football and sports betting, and I didn't really have a backup plan. So everything I did... <laughs> To that point uh, was for that sole purpose. So I kind of got lucky because I didn't really have any other backup options. You know, from the age of eight, my dad started uh, taking me to his fantasy football drafts and they were in Vegas. So that's kind of where I got the sports book love from. Um, and then from there, you know, I tried to figure out how to make the spreads, come up with player projections from, you know, before I was 10. I love that. I want to see a picture of you and your dad in Vegas being fantasy football draft. Like that's the cover of your book. When you write the book, <laughs> that's your cover. I will tweet that out later today. I definitely have a picture of that. I was destined, destined on that note, Cynthia. So, you know, all of us, I think here, we have our spreadsheets. We kind of project these games, model these games, you know, without giving away kind of your secret sauce. Cause, cause I know you have a pretty complex model, but um, just give us kind of a little peek at what you do, your process, as far as building your NFL model, um, you know, what type of data are you using, what type of programs, techniques, anything that can kind of give us a better sense of, of how you go about uh, projecting these games. So I'm like a 10-year kind of person. So I basically take like a 10-year model and I try to find, so luckily, because I, I did get the, the master's from Northwestern in predictive analytics. So I'm really lucky that I, I can leverage some of my like professorial relationships and stuff to make sure my math is right. So when I find correlations between past data, I want to look for causality, right? I don't want it to just be like, oh, this seems to fit. I want it to be like real hardcore, like actual like math, right? Like they may not know a ton about football, but 
then I get a chance, really, really lucky chance to talk to a bunch of coaches who help set me straight on things, right? Like, we don't know if the left guard is 100% healthy or not, right? Like, as an outsider, you kind of have a binary look as to health, right? They're either good or bad, or maybe a skill position you'll hear like, okay, he's a little banged up, but he's going he's gonna to play today, right? So I, I get a chance to refine some of the, the inputs there. So when I create my historical model, um, I take kind of the math and I take what I know from strategy from coaches. I track a lot of tendencies of coaches, a lot of tendencies of players. So I try to like mesh the personnel with the strategy. And then my secret sauce is the, the way I combine relational databases, which some people can say that's like old, but I'm old, so it works out. Um, relational databases and um, computer vision. So I do a lot of computer vision, probably measure way too much because I go down rabbit holes with it and sometimes it doesn't work out. And we've all been there where you like spend all this time writing a model and then you're like, oh, this is nonsense. I have to move on. So I think, I think that's probably the shortest version of that. So those to me, I look for you know, doppelgangers amongst the, the past tendencies. So I do it by position group, by, you know, the structure of the team, you know, that can be like the structure of your defense or, you know, what kind of personnel you have. And I try to see, you know, tendencies that are deeper than the past four games. But remember, since other coaches only watch four games of film on the teams that they play, that that's really how you should be overweighting it. And then I go from there. So I look for, I look for kind of, I use like a, a momentum hedge fund model for that. So it's like, the past four weeks, I overweight in terms of the results influence on the outcome. That is a really great point. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I haven't heard um, anyone else talk about that I was aware of as well. But these coaches are generally out here paying the most attention to those last four weeks. So um, when you kind of start testing, like, for example, in fantasy, um, running back usage and things like that, um, and and kind of just like wide receivers and, and um, their usage on the field. A lot of times you see kind of four game samples tend to be more predictive than some of the larger samples within that season. So um, I, I thought that was a really interesting point. Sean, what are some things that you kind of are tweaking manually in your model more than, more than others? Yeah. So, you know, in the past, I've said that before, you know, especially when I'm doing player projections, a lot of it's sort of a blend of art and science. So, you know, when I'm, I'm updating my power ratings uh, week to week, I'm looking at things like turnover margin luck, injury luck. So, you know, when I'm projecting every offensive player and every defensive player, you know, for DFS projections, I'm just aware of, you know, when teams are closer to full strength or when when they're getting guys back. Um, So that's sort of where the uh, art comes into play. I just can tell when a team's trending up and whatnot. And ultimately, I'm just trying to beat the market. You know, I'm essentially trying to project what the true spread should be. I know a lot of the different noise and, and things that go into that. So I'm essentially just trying to beat the market. I know the various factors um, that people tend to overlook. People tend to overreact to just, you know, the final score the week before. So looking into um, what, what led to the final score, where the team got lucky, where they didn't get lucky, um, and just trying to kind of come up with, you know, what the true power rating for the team is week to week. Cynthia, you know, Sean kind of hit on, you know, a lot of things are, are, are overrated. And, and I think that's why these sports books do end up making a lot of money. Just based on your experience, um, using your t- kind of 10 year data and, and all your experience kind of hanging out with the coaches, watching the film. Um, what are some factors that are underrated and overrated when it comes to being predictive of winning in the National Football League? So we get to be a little deeper on this pod because sometimes on TV, like the hardest thing I have to do is to tell a really sophisticated point, but in like 30 seconds, that is something as a, like, it's very hard to do. So going a little deeper to me, it's the, I'm going to call it like the chain reaction, right? 
So like what happens on first dictates what happened on second down, which dictates what happened on third down, right? So looking through the chain and the chain reactions, like some people will like overestimate third down percentage or red zone percentage for, for certain things, right? Like look at the chain reaction and there aren't that many drives in a game. So you can kind of see like, okay, well, this didn't work. So they adjusted and pass or they, you know, the, the bears had some inter- interesting tendencies like that last season. So to me, it's, you just let's look at the chain reaction, like the if then the decision tree that they're using for all of it. For me, that means ultimately first down is where I start my analysis, right? Like again, third down can be a, a lot of people look at third. I find I find at least, and a lot of people look at red zone, and both of those are great places to start. But you have to look to see what led people to be there. Absolutely, you know that data essentially that first and second down, those early downs are are a lot more predictive of kind of what a team really is. Whereas I think the third down in the red zone, they play well when coaches are kind of talking to their team because they're high leverage situations that they want their team to get right. And you know, on TV, it plays well as you know as well. It's easy to kind of give a really cool red zone stat, and um, it, it explains a lot about how a team um, is performing. But the problem is, it's not always predictive, and, and I think that's the key point you kind of made there. Um, Sean, anything else? You know, a lot of these NFL teams are closer than people think. So a lot of the randomness week to week could be due to, um, you know, a turnover margin, which is largely going to regress to the mean. So that's that's something that I think people overreact to. And then injury luck. And we'll, we'll kind of dive into this when we when we go over these NFC teams. But um, a lot of these teams, I think people are overreacting because of some of this various luck they had last year. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting them to regress closer to the mean this year. All right, let's hop right into the... NFC West, we're going to run through all of these NFC win totals, just talk about what we think are the, you know, the, the top bets, the teams that we think are going to over and underperform. So let's start in the NFC West. Um, we're going to start out West. Everyone likes to start in the East. Had the most time allotted to the NFC West because I think it's really interesting um, and, and fascinating. Let's start in LA with the Los Angeles Rams coming off that Super Bowl loss to the New England Patriots. Their win total is 10 and a half. Uh, but you are getting plus 120 if you bet the over. Cynthia, Todd Gurley led the NFL over the last uh, two years, 40 total touchdowns. How does his arthritic knee impact your model for the Rams? And just generally, what's the outlook for them in, in 2019? I was at Rams camp a couple of times because it's close to my home. And Les Need gets asked this question like every fifth minute, same as Sean McVay. And they've actually given the same answer over and over again, that his touchdowns are going to stay there, but the but the his total touches are going to be fewer. They like Darrell Henderson a lot, so I don't know if I'd say full season him, but I think that's at the end of the season you'd be like, okay, from week six on, it was Henderson. Do you know what I mean? Like not not totally, but girly with some Henderson, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it would make sense for them to use him on on high leverage situations. Um, you know, they gave him the guaranteed deal, a lot of money, so they're, they're kind of they're kind of stuck with him for the time being. Uh, Sean, ten and a half. Uh, that's a pretty high win total. Is this one that you're going under on? Because when I'm looking at your win totals, I see them. Not many teams get to double digits, if, if any. Yeah, that's correct. I, I have two teams technically over double digit wins. Like I said, I'm factoring in quite a bit of regression. So usually you can get value on the under for teams that, you know, Vegas has projected in double digit wins. But in terms of the Rams, I have them projected exactly 10. Um, and just before we dive in, uh, the, the under is minus 140 here. You know, in my model, minus 135 is about how much a half a win is worth and minus 180 is a full win. 
So I'll be referencing those. Um, so this is a pass for me, but you know, I, I do lean towards the under. I don't think Gurley is going to make too much of a difference if they limit his workload. As Cynthia mentioned, I think you know, Daryl Henderson was drafted to be sort of a new element in the offense, more of the uh, Alvin Kamara, Chris Thompson role. So I think that's just a new piece they're adding to the offense. And Malcolm Brown is probably sort of the insurance uh, if Gurley has to miss time. So I'm not really you know docking him for Gurley's health right now. I have him favored in 14 games this year, but eight of them I have less than a field goal. So I think, you know, they're going to have to continue their luck in one-score games. Uh, last year, they went 6-1 and one there. So that we they could see some negative aggression in that department. Uh, they were top five in Football Outsiders adjusted game loss the past two seasons. So I think they've been getting pretty lucky in terms of injury luck. So, you know, just a, a few things like that can really add up. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be a good team. But, you know, they're probably not going to be able to match the record from the past couple seasons. So I'm expecting some regression and wide lean under here. Those factors, Gurley being scaled back a little, uh, them being in a ton of winnable games, but what projected is a ton of, a ton of close games, uh, instead of betting on the win total or any of the Rams futures, I actually went ahead and you guys can tell me what you think of this, but I, I took out an MVP future on, on Jared Goff at 40 to one, uh, because I think that everyone he throws to, is really, really good. This team could finish with the best record. And if Gurley's not kind of being used as much, I think they're, you're going to look at Goff first as, oh my God, this guy really took a step forward after that uh, hideous performance in the Super Bowl. Am I crazy or doesn't have a shot? I think that you have to factor in what you're getting. Like, you know, the, I think you said 40 to one. The, the problem I have with this one is that the division has gotten more interesting, right? Like it's going to be hard to figure that the 49ers are going to be not so great if Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy and their defensive front looks completely different and the front will help the back. I mean, you had a historic low in terms of seven turnovers for that team for the entire season, like NFL history low. So I just don't know if the point is, is everyone goes closer to the mean. And I, I just, that whole team, I'm like, I'm a little, I'm just a little nervous about. I do think they win the division, but I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, like it was this past season with it so convincing. Oof. I mean, you don't have to tell me twice about the 49ers. I was like, the Jimmy G guy last year. I had a Super Bowl future on them, everything. So let's talk about the, the Niners, actually, because the sports books are implying about a 29% chance of them making the playoffs. Cynthia, uh, do you give them better odds than 29% to make the playoffs this season? I do. I definitely do. It's, it's a factor of, like, look, we can talk about the dynamics of this, but I, I my, like, theory is that I think Cam Newton will not only be a big key in deciding the NFC South, but he's also going to be a big key in deciding the NFC West. And that could potentially be one of the ways that the Niners can sneak past people's expectations. I'm not giving them like a, like, it's not like a 60% situation like that, but I, I definitely think that I think nine wins is very achievable. So it's going to be whether or not nine wins is enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of like the most important thing, you have to be able to throw the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo in his career as a Niner, now the sample is still small, but he's up well over eight yards in attempt. Um, and it's not like the, the supporting cast has been amazing, um, but they will play at, at a high tempo. I think they will. And they were one of the better teams on early downs on offense last season, even though they were without Garoppolo. So uh, I, I'm with you there, Sean. How do you feel about the 49ers this season? Their win total is eight and the over is minus 140. Uh, I 
do have them at 8.2, so I'm passing there. But I think the playoffs is the angle uh, to bet them here. Yes, is plus 240. And, and, you know, the reason is last year I, I talked about it, but last year they've had the the league worst turnover margin. They were minus 25. So they're due to, you know, positive regress there. They were three and six in one score games, which is important because I have them slightly favored in 10 games this year. Um, all but three games on their schedule, I have projected less than a field goal uh, on the spread. So uh, I think, you know, some positive regression in one score games, they could easily hit nine wins. And, you know, that's like Cynthia mentioned, that's what it's going to take to make the playoffs. So I just think there's more upside in taking that yes bet. And, you know, the Rams and Seahawks, you know, they should still be above average, but they're both due to regress. The Cardinals should be better this year, but I'm not too worried about them making the playoffs or, you know, competing with San Francisco there. So I think the the way to bet on San Francisco this year is to take the upside and the, for them to make the playoffs. I didn't think you were going to agree with me there. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> 49ers, man. We're, it, you know what's going to happen, right? Like, we're all going to be here talking about the 49ers, and then there's going to be no value left. Like, people are going to hear it. They're going to go bet them, and then it's just going to be, like, one of the worst bets all of a sudden because the, the win total is probably going to – I mean, the playoff odds are probably just going <laughs> to start shrinking as it goes. But uh, let's, let's, go, let's talk about the Seahawks because they've won nine games in all seven of Russell Wilson's uh, – you know, all seven years of his career. Cynthia, do your models like the Seahawks still? Because somebody's got to lose games in this division, right? You know, if you like the, uh, the 49ers, you know, the Rams are still not going away. Um, do the Seahawks get to nine wins again? I'm a little concerned about the Seahawks this season. I don't know what to expect from the middle of their defense. And that's an area that is really predictive that I found. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> All right, how about, we ask, how about we say it this way? Because remember last year, I think, there was a lot of kind of concern throughout the industry as well. Um, where were you on the Seahawks last year, Cynthia? Were, were you kind of concerned, equally concerned, more concerned, less concerned? Because it didn't look that good last year either. Anything to do with defense, Pete Carroll's going to figure out, right? Like, I'm not – I'm less worried. And, you know, Bobby Wagner is there. KJ Wright is there. Like, there are pieces there. But I'm just like, who's going to, like, rush the passer in this division? Look who they have to play, right? Like, a lot of, like, short – passes quick passes a lot of like a lot of things I think the Cardinals are going to play really fast and really short and I think you know you saw Jared Goff everything was 11 I don't know about their safeties I'm a little concerned about them right so like I, I don't want to be mean but um that that just scares me a bit I think last I was higher on them last season preseason than I am now yeah it 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 does look it does look rough you know I think Russell Wilson probably is going to have to bail them out but what happens if he misses a game it's Paxton Lynch and Geno Smith behind him right now and I don't who knows who's going to make the team so what if he I mean he's not, he doesn't miss games I get it but it's very hard to always say that you're never going to miss a game when you have an O-line that looks like theirs and that's what is a little scary too yeah, I wonder if that had anything to do with, and I know that, you know, they got the new coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, last season, but Russell Wilson wasn't running as much uh, last year. And, and I wonder if, you know, it had something to do with trying to uh, ensure he's healthy because he's basically that whole team. I mean, they, you know, they had to pay him. They, you know, they, they pay Wagner, but they're really just thin all around the whole roster yeah. outside of Russell Wilson. So imperative that he stays healthy. Uh, Cardinals, I want to talk about them because – they're a polarizing team. Some of us, probably myself included, are overly bullish on, on them. But what does that mean? What does overly bullish mean? Like, how many games are you saying, right? Like, are you saying eight? 
I was betting the over at five and a half. I would still take it at six. I think this, I think this is more like a seven win, seven ish win team that has like an outside shot at, you know, winning record or even, even the playoffs. Like, obviously I think the 49ers are the better bet for the playoffs, but I don't think that this team by any means is going to be a bottom dweller. And, and that's kind of how they are uh, being priced in the market. Like, I think this team will be extremely competitive. Even if they go, whether they go 6-10, and 7-9, 8-8, eight eight, I think they'll be extremely competitive week in and week out. Okay. Sean, you go first on this one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, you know, I have them projected at 5.5, but they're a team that they, they have such a wide range of outcomes. I think that actually favors a team that's below eight wins. Um, I have them favored in zero games, so let me just get that out there. Uh, eight times I have them getting less than four points, though, uh, against the spread. So... Um, it, it could come down to their uh, record in one score games. And like I said, that kind of helps a team with a low team total. So, you know, um, they're going to be improved this year. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league. But, you know, with just some luck in one score games, they could easily um, pass five wins. So, you know, I, I lean over. The only bet in this division I actually like, I didn't get to touch on, but was the Seahawks under eight and a half plus 110. I, I happen to have some Seahawks friends. I don't care if I upset anybody i'm here to make money and the under <laughs> eight and a half plus 110 is just too good to pass up right now see he can do the dirty work i can just agree with it <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i'm totally on the opposite side of you guys when it comes to the cardinals i'm not super optimistic i'm not super pessimistic either i think five is a great spot to think about why because as much as I think Kyler Murray will be like really dynamic and interesting to watch and fun. And like, there's a lot going on here. There's two main things that are a really big deal that I don't understand the answer to. The first is their O-line. And I get it. If you you have an air raid offense, you're going to go fast. It's not going to, in theory, that that's not going to be a big deal. Although this is the NFL, it's not college. And if you look at Kyler Murray's O-line in college, it was arguably one of the best. And I'm a big O-line tracker. That's a huge, so, so, so predictive of success. I definitely have some concerns about their defense as well. I'm not sure what happens when teams pass on them. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. There's just too many question marks for me to be like, like, like I said, five. I think five is where, like, your five and a half from your model is very close to my model. I think my model is like five, three, five, five, three, six, or something like that right now. I don't look at it a ton during training camp because – as I'm here, it's like really hard to keep up with who's projected to start, you know, because I'm on the road or whatever. But last I checked, it was like, you know, under 5-5 five, five for me. Yeah. And, uh, just real quick, I wanted to float a theory for you guys to see if I'm on the right track here. But I think that I'm, I'm going to actually target betting on the Cardinals early in the season. The NFL, you know, once they get film on it, we'll probably be able to, you know, handle the area better. But I just think that window of the first few games especially at home That's- week one against the Lions. They're getting two and a half. I have that. Hey, you stop oh, talking about the Lions like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, week two. The, you know, the first couple weeks, uh, you know, I think they'll hide it a bit in preseason, but I think the first – couple weeks could be special and then you know the NFL might catch up and that's where the Cardinals are yeah. Gonna, yeah so that's what I would do I know we're not talking about the AFC today but that's exactly my same strategy when it comes to the Ravens too like I know Greg Roman there's a lot of film on him but and I think the most interesting game is going to be Cardinals and Ravens like so interesting because they're going to be so different right they're the Spurs versus the you know it's it's slow Spurs versus the Golden State Warriors you know what I mean like that kind of thing maybe more like the Sacramento Kings but whatever Absolutely. And Greg Roman, you know, he kind of, they put him in position to kind of call the shots on that offense. Now Harbaugh wanted him to switch with Marty Morningweg and Morningweg didn't really want it. So he just moved on. But Roman worked with Colin Kaepernick and it was a really similar situation where Kaepernick didn't run. And uh, Tyrod. And Tyrod Taylor. 
very similar guys. So if there's anyone that kind of can, can cook something up to at least make, you know, this thing continue to be functional, because I think they had a really easy schedule down the stretch last year. That was the one thing with the Ravens. Um, they, they faced like all of the worst defenses in terms of uh, DVOA. So um, we, we have to kind of temper expectations a little, but I think with that a whole offseason adding some new pieces, I don't doubt that Greg Roman will have, um, you know, some tricks up his sleeve. But let's stay on track. Let's get let's go to the NFC South. The New Orleans Saints. I mean, 13 and 3 last year. Probably should have been 14 and 2, but they rested their starters in week 17. Carolina didn't have Cam, so that's a that was a very winnable game. 10.5 wins is their win total, but you are getting plus 130 on the over. Cynthia, is 10.5 too much of an overcorrection? It's still high, but is are the Saints a better team than 10.5 wins, given that they essentially almost won 14 last year. 11 lofty, I think. That, that division's really tricky, or it could be really tricky. Depends on health and other places. Like, I, I, like, I think 11 is, like, where I feel like I'd be comfortable. But So, obviously, that's, like, slightly more than what they're asking for. But I don't know. Like, that's a stay away. Like, double digits I, I feel comfortable with. But I think you got to look at the changes on their defense. And I'm very concerned about their secondary still. I think 10-11, I think great. That's where I'm comfortable. <laughs> I kind of set you up there, Cynthia, because I actually love the, the under on this one. He either got hurt down the stretch last year or, or, or he just started wearing down um, his last seven games, uh, 6.77 yards per attempt, six picks, was taking more sacks. The decision-making just didn't seem exactly right. I just have to see kind of Drew Brees' return to, to, to Drew Brees of the first 10 games of that season uh, before I'm back in on the Saints. But, Sean, I know you're a bit higher on the Saints, or at least you were when we talked last time. A- any kind of differing uh, feelings? Do you, or do you, are you uh, kind of with Cynthia that uh, 11 is a better number? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, 10 to 11 is, sounds about right. It seems like this, we've talked about it. I, I do think they, they're a high-ceiling, low-floor kind of team because, like you mentioned, you know, Drew Brees is going to decline at some point. It could be this year. Uh, but I'm staying away from the total. I do like them still, however, 10 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. I think when you when you take a bet like that, you're not really worried about the floor. This year, any move they make this year is going to be, you know, to try to increase their chances of winning a Super Bowl because they have to with the short window they have with Breeze left. So I like them as a Super Bowl bet, but I'm staying away from the total, if that makes sense, because you're, you're bringing in that floor. I, I look for more creative angles for teams like this that I do like. Um, but yeah, I'm staying away from this total. This is a low floor team. If something happens to Breeze, Thomas, Kamara, it, it could be a skill player. And you don't usually say that about a skill player, but you know, I have a lot of questions about them. But let's talk about the Falcons, Panthers, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Falcons at eight and a half wins, Panthers seven and a half, Bucks six and a half. Cynthia, if you had to take one of those overs, which team do you think is the most likely to go over their win total? Is it the Bucks kind of at the back end, the Panthers in the middle, all they have to do is go 500, or do you like the Falcons uh, to post a winning record? I think that like most people are really high on Atlanta. I, I don't know, I feel like that's what I, maybe that's like just who I follow or who I see or whatever, but I need to see it a little bit more before I believe it. I'm telling you, my like Cam Newton stuff is like, is very real, right? Like he throws a whole wrench in a lot of things just because of who they play this season. But I think Carolina is a sneaky good team. Now that does really rely on Cam Newton's ability to be a bit more healthy than we've seen him in past seasons. I mean, I think I like it in the sense of, cause I, I want to believe Cam's healthier, but like stay away from that. I would say what's the, what's the, um, what's the market for, the Falcons and what's I feel like 
just feel like that's like such a trendy pick that it's probably a terrible market like the Panthers as well. It's not as bad. It's minus 120. It's over eight and a half though. So, um, you know, obviously a win higher, but uh, minus 120. You know what? I'm going with Bruce Arians then. It's got to be the, the Bucks over has to be a little something, right? What do, what do we got there? What am I getting there? Getting even. Plus 100, you know. Great. I'll go with that one then because the other ones are just terrible – like just terrible feelings. You get like bad feelings about the other ones. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's, uh, Sean, any any disagree? Agree? I agree. That's why, in good conscience, I can't recommend the over for any of these teams. I actually like the under. And the other thing, you know, if it sounds like I'm an under machine, well, I pulled out the uh, market. I, I took away the vague, so I got like the true odds that we're getting. And um, you know, the market was around 259 and a half wins, which is not even possible. There's 256 games. I'm factoring in about uh, one to two ties. So, you know, the market's adding about four and a half to five wins as is. So that's just why, in general, you're going to hear me say more unders. But I would pick on the Buccaneers under six and a half. And I, I know I've been banging the drum for Jameis Winston fantasy. Uh, these two things are not correlated, so don't at me. Um, but, you know, I haven't projected for six wins. Only favored in two games. They had some really bad injury luck last year. I think Bruce Arians should help. Um, so I think there's going to be some spots where I actually back the Buccaneers. But if you look at their schedule, and, you know, I do a lot of schedule analysis when I'm doing team win totals, but they, they have a brutal stretch starting week four. They play at the Rams, travel to the Saints. Then they play the Panthers in London. That's their home game. Then they have a bye week. Then they go at the Titans and then at the Seahawks. So they're on the road for basically two months. And then they have finally another home game week 10 against the Cardinals. So that's going to be a stretch where I think that um, I'm going to be trying to bet against them. Uh, you know, a travel schedule like that can really have an impact on a team. So uh, whoever made the schedule definitely wanted to have some action on the under here. So I think they're going to be a team that um, people are overlooking a bit, but just based on that schedule alone, I'm taking the under here. Me personally, I'd probably actually take the Falcons. It, like Cynthia, you mentioned it, it kind of seems like the chalk, like the trendy pick, but at, at minus 120, I think this team has a pretty good shot at, at going at winning nine games. I mean, Dirk Cutter is back. Matt Ryan has struggled in his first year uh, under a new OC these last couple of go-rounds with Shanahan and then with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. But I think the fact that he's worked with Cutter before, uh, the fact that um, I think that offense is going to be highly efficient. So uh, I think I'd lean Falcons. The market has kind of bet a lot of the value out of those. Uh, let's go to the NFC North first. Let's go, let's go reverse order, keep it going like that. And let's start with the Green Bay Packers because their win total, you know, the over went three and one in Aaron Rodgers' first four seasons. But this team has gone to one and six toward the over since. They're over their last four. So they haven't gone over their win total uh, since 2014. Cynthia, how do your models feel about Green Bay? I think I'm higher on Green Bay than other people. I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. It's like the harder part is like people in the offseason, you hear all these like narratives, right? So I'm not sure if they're, I don't know. I, I'm not, they don't equate it to like a number, right? I think Green Bay could, I mean, easily be a playoff team. Like it, they could actually even win the division depends on how that Bears offense looks, in my opinion. So I, I have them ranked above the Vikings, below the Bears in terms of win total as of right now. But it's not that far off. Like it could easily be, it could easily be the Packers winning the NFC North. I'm similar to Cynthia. I have not projected 8.9. I do like a lot of the moves they made on defense. Uh, I think they really helped bolster it there. But, you know, when when it comes to betting the over on the Packers, it's Aaron Rodgers has to play all 16 games, and then I think they could do it. So um, if he misses any time, then I think, you know, they're going under again. 
uh, like you mentioned, since 2014. I'm not interested in tying up money for four months on something like that that's sort of out of my control. So they might be a team where I would consider, you know, betting to make the playoffs depending on what odds I can get. But they're just, they're a team that has just a wide range of outcomes because it, it all comes down to will Aaron Rodgers be healthy for all 16 games. So um, that one, I, I do like their upside, but I, I wouldn't necessarily bet the over here. Yeah, I'm with you guys on that one. Uh, let's talk about the Bears. 12-4 and four last year, point differential of 8.6. Did play a pretty easy schedule, though. Vikings, uh, 9-7, and seven, their point differential was only 1.2 toward the positive. Cynthia, these two teams, the Bears and the Vikings, both at nine win totals with minus 110 toward the over. So do you really feel like these two teams are even, or do you have a, a lean either way? I don't think they're even, and I don't think it's close. Like, I don't think – I think the Bears are significantly better because, honestly, even though the Vikings have the killer defense, the Bears have just a ridiculous defense. Like, it could be – they have a chance for it to be generational. So, when you have a really good defense and you have a good O-line like they have, you're in good shape. Like, I like everything Anthony Miller. I like everything David Montgomery. I'm all in on that. I stay away from anything Mitchell Trubisky, but the Montgomery and the Anthony Miller stuff is real. Whoa, see – now, I like Trubisky. I, I think that Trubisky, in, in terms of, like, fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy, but anything I've seen about him that people might bet on, I'm, oh, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I, you know what happened? I think it was, like, a month ago or something like that. Somebody got down heavily on <laughs> Mitch Trubisky's MVP odds. So, they, like, moved from, I guess they were, like, 40 or 50 to 1 to, like, like 20 to 1 or something like that. I saw that. I yeah. saw that. I saw all of that. Mm-hmm. You could still get him at 50 to 1 right now. So. Oh, so oh, so oh, so we're good. I mean, it, I like Goff better, but I think what they did in year one uh, under Matt Nagy, I think you have to throw out that whole John Fox, uh, you know, year. Trubisky is another, it's like a poor man's Goff situation almost where it's not about the quarterback. It's about the fact that everyone he throws to, I think, uh, can make plays. I mean, you got all these gadget guys that can score long touchdowns. You got kind of re-upped in the backfield with guys who can catch passes alongside Cohen. Allen Robinson just turning 26, which is usually when wide receivers peak. Cynthia, you mentioned Anthony Miller, who I think is going to to break out in a big way this year. So it wouldn't be crazy. It's just I think the defense might, you know, be, as Sean, you've talked about, the defense might be too good for, for them to really be throwing it all around uh, too, too much. But in fantasy, I certainly do like the – uh, rushing kind of floor ceiling combo. No one besides Mahomes had more 30 point fantasy games last year uh, than Mitch Trubisky. Uh, let's talk about Cynthia. Let's talk about your lines. Talked about them a little bit. Pass, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Cynthia, I mean, if you want to be a trader, you can get plus 130 under six and a half. I mean, is that that's not tempting at all? First and foremost, I would I I would never never ever ever in a million years be able to stomach that. Second. If you know anything about Lions fans, you know we're all self-suffering. Like, we all, like, talk about Barry Sanders as if he were still playing. We all hope for the best. And they're like, well, at least you have good colors. You know, and, like, if you ever go to Ford Field, you can get a great gyro. They have great Greek food in Detroit. Fun fact. But other than that, it's like, all right, keep going. Move it along. <laughs> oh, you, uh, you could get them at minus 500 to miss the playoffs if you're interested, too. <laughs> no, but I, I don't really have anything good to say. So I'll pass. Um, let's go to the NFC East. Philadelphia is a team I think a lot of people are high on. Uh, their win total is up at 10 now, minus 110 either way. So Carson Wentz, though, last couple of seasons, suffered some injuries. Do you factor that in, or is that just kind of like a random like sample size variance thing? 
Uh, I don't think it's a random sample size variance thing. I think it's a risk. Like, I think it's a, there's a style of play and there's a, I mean, because that's a good old line he's standing behind. So it's not like, it's not like he's playing for the Texans, right? Like, (laughs) there's, there's just an interesting, there's an interesting thing that happens. And by the way, your backup quarterback matters more than people think, right? Like, I was talking to, I was doing some work with, like I said, I'm, I had Chiefs on the brain because I was just there, but you know, like Chad Henney is backing up Patrick Mahomes this season. And it's just interesting to see like how Henney like gets it and can read it and can help the defense and help. It's not just like in the, like in the situation of like, if they have to come in during the game, it's like the day in and day out elements of being a backup. And you go from having a guy like Nick Foles to having someone who is way, way, way less experienced than Nate Sudfeld. And it's not that they don't like him. And I think they do like Nate a lot, but he's just super unproven. He doesn't have that like game swagger of like Chad Henney being crushed like 55 times in the season. You know, like there's something to be said about the other factors of the backup quarterback that aren't the stuff that are necessarily even what happens when they come into games, right? And that is a huge, interesting note for the Eagles. That's the risk for me. Like the Super Bowl is totally achievable for them, but it will, that back of quarterback situation is probably the scariest part of their whole team and their whole team is stacked. That's why the win total is where it is. But that's a, that's a great point. The benefit of kind of having a veteran backup and, and a guy that you can kind of look to and, and learn from and a guy that's been there and done that, like, you know, the word, word was that Wentz did have some – and this was admitted by him that he had some leadership issues and, and he wants to get better at that. So um, I think a, a veteran got, kind of guy back there would certainly help. It will be interesting. Uh, I might take that but, over, though, because Penn actually – look at their schedule. I feel like they're going to ice skate in. What, for me, I think Super Bowl, they have Super Bowl aspirations, obviously. And to me, like, that's the one thing I'm worried about when it comes to Super Bowl. But 10 seems like a – like, it seems like a le- – like, I'm looking right now at every single game in my model, and I'm looking at, like, the order and everything, and I'm like, well, this seems achievable for sure. They're the eighth-ranked team in my model, but, you know, the fourth highest um, win total because of that schedule that I have them having the third easiest schedule in the NFL. But, you know, going back to, you know, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, Towards the end of last year, I only had that being, you know, a zero to one point drop off between the two whenever Foles had to step in. But yeah, with uh, Nate Sudfeld being the backup now, that's huge. That's going to be around a five to six point drop uh, against the spread. So, you know, betting this, it's sort of going back to the Packers bet where a lot of this is going to come down to injury luck. And if if Wentz can stay healthy all 16 games, I think they crush this over because of the schedule Um, and because of their depth, you know, they're, they're stacked. Uh, from top to bottom. So um, if if Wentz stays healthy all 16 games, they crush the over. If he misses any time, it goes under. And I'm just uninterested in betting on something like that that I don't really have uh, a good angle on or control over. Yeah, I mean, and part of that schedule is the fact that you play the Giants twice and you play the Washington Redskins twice. I mean, you can get even money on the Giants over six wins. You can get plus 120 on Washington over 6.5 do either of those teams have any hope of winning seven games this year? When it comes to the Giants, stay the heck away from them in almost everything. Because, like, I didn't see – allegedly, Golden Tate's appeal is today. I haven't seen any results of that. It's too early for me to even think about them. And I just stay away. Like, I don't think that six is uh, – I don't think it's going to be – I think maybe the Jets have a better season. <laughs> and then um, when it comes to Washington, when you talk about – like, I would love to know Sean's take on – their injury situation because that is more than bad luck yeah exactly uh, so you know if I were to pick uh, it'd be neither as well you know a couple of months ago I would have said the Redskins but I, you know ever since Reuben Foster towards ACL and then now this uh, issue with Trent Williams you mentioned the offensive line they might have to trade him away yeah 
So that's going to be a problem. They're all very injury prone, very scary situations. Exactly. And then, you know, the Giants, you mentioned, you know, Golden Tate, and then they have Sterling Shepherds, questionable week one, Corey Coleman's an IR. Neither one of those guys would really impact the spread. But when you have a cluster of injuries at a position, yes. that actually yes. does matter. So I'm not going to just pile it on to Raybon, but yeah, I don't think the Giants are going to be, you know, a 7 team either. Um, so I'm, I'm just passing on both. I mean, we've had an injury at the quarterback position for years now, so it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Eli fan, and not like my math is more of an Eli fan than I think public sentiment is. Like people is my biggest thing is like I don't know what public sentiment is because I can't let it bias me. So I just feel like people pile it on Eli a lot, and I don't think I mean I think Eli is not like as bad as I think a lot of New York media, at least that I've heard, says. Like I, I think Eli's better than people give him credit for. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I've been saying, you know, towards the end of the year, I think the Giants are going to have more of a dip. I, I, going from Eli to Daniel Jones is probably worth two to three points on the spread. Um, but, you know, the difference between Case Cam and Dwayne Haskins might be a point or two, maybe. So I just think yep. there's more downward, you know, dip possibility for the Giants once they do decide to go with the rookie. Is that, Sean, is that a situation where is there a lower floor and a higher ceiling? Because the reason that I, personally am down on Eli's because I think he puts up a lot of empty numbers, right? So he can put up a, a high completion percentage. He can get the ball out quick, but it's not, do, he's not doing it in the same way that Tom Brady or Drew Brees is doing it. He, he's kind of just dumping down these, in, these inefficient plays and you look up and they're still punting on third down. And they had a pretty good uh, receiving core for most of that year. Um, and, and they still couldn't really, they, they only moved the ball in, in like spurts. They were extremely inconsistent. So um, I guess, like, do you guys, do you, do you think that like, Daniel Jones could potentially give them a higher ceiling or is it just, it's just, a, it would be a disaster? <laughs> well, I'm not here to defend Eli or anything. So, you know, I agree with you there, but I think it does go back to sort of, you know, Odell being gone and then this cluster injury um, situation they have a receiver where, yeah, you're right. Maybe Daniel Jones might spice it up because, you know, he has at least the ability to get out of the pocket and run. So that might uh, keep defenses on their toes, but just, it, it's a situation where, I think once they go to Daniel Jones, they're they're going to be in tank mode and looking to get up to high, high draft pick in the 2020 draft. So um, I, I think it will be a move where they're okay with losing games if they can get Daniel Jones some experience. Only hope. <laughs> and I purposely left the Cowboys for last, Cynthia, because I wanted to get your thoughts on this kind of a popular topic, uh, especially amongst, you know, the, the analytics crowd and, and whatnot. But, you know, there's, Team running backs don't matter. You know, a lot of people are kind of saying, got to go oh, into this. Boy. You got to talk about this because, yeah, like, Cynthia, do running backs matter? Point blank, period. Yes. The answer is yes. Your strategy matters. First of all, to say anything like doesn't matter, does matter, doesn't, like, no, no, no. The football ebbs and flows. We all know this. It, when, when everyone digs, then they zag, and then that's how they win. Like, when the Patriots stop running on first down, then everyone else copies it, and then they start running again in the playoffs. I think they averaged 26 rushing attempts per game on first down in the playoff. Like, the point is, is your strategy matters and your personnel aligning with that strategy matters even more. So if you have a theory that running backs are a committee works for you, and then you can execute that with your personnel, maybe an Austin Eckler and Josh, Justin Jackson situation. Maybe you have an Ezekiel Elliott who you believe is an every down back and you're going to use his workload as such. Like, I, I don't think there is one answer for that. There are philosophical there are philosophical alignments that have to happen because your O-line blocking scheme has a huge impact in terms of your running back's efficiency. Your potential personnel on, you know, like do you play a lot of 11 or do you put with so three wide receiver sets 
or do you like use 12 so two tight ends that's how many how many tight ends are you going to have and are they really tight ends or are they actually lined up with a wide receiver your alignment and your philosophy and your personnel they all dictate how much any position matters so to say any one position doesn't matter or does is in my opinion false because it really has to be the alignment of what you're trying to execute against the types of defenses you're facing and how well you're able to do so like there's just no one answer for everything Absolutely. And Sean, do you want me to get off my soapbox now? I had like no further question. I mean, that was just, you just said it. You know, I think, I think that people kind of take that and run with it, you know, way too far where, yeah, sure. Is the position a little bit devalued in the sense that um, you don't necessarily need to, to pay a guy a top dollar and, and the market kind of corrected there and, and kind of realized that. And that's why you are seeing uh, more of these contract disputes. So that's fine. But yeah, I think it's, 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 it would be silly to look at the Cowboys and say that Ezekiel Elliott, you know, doesn't matter. I think it would they, be ridiculous right. as a Giants fan to say that Saquon Barkley doesn't make a difference. I talk about that all the time. You know, it's, it's not Saquon. And that's, and that's again why I think it goes back to Eli with, with the Giants. There are, just like there are different tiers of wide receivers and quarterbacks and defensive ends, there are different tiers of running backs. And the problem really lies in the inability to value contracts in a way that reflects if someone's a pass catcher or not. Remember a million years ago, I mean like five years ago, when Jimmy Graham, a tight end, was trying to ask for wide receiver money and everyone was like, what the heck? And then it like just didn't net out in anything good for anyone. Like the problem is, is that the, the way that football works and the, especially like the dynamic of valuations and how the market dictates the price and, you know, all these different dynamics that are working, kind of making quarterbacks maybe potentially overvalued certain ones or under, you know, the value is determined by the market. And if the market's not there, then it's a tricky dynamic. But then you also have to realize there's really three numbers you need to look at. The minimum guarantee, the likely number you're going to get, and people don't talk about this number because it's hard to explain on TV, but like, you know, you can have a contract with a minimum guarantee of a low number. And then like your likely number is actually much higher because the incentives are for things like showing up, making the roster, stuff that is going to like very high percentage chance of happening. But the way that they structure their cap just has to reflect it in a different way. And then that top end number almost never gets achieved, right? Like Michael Thomas, as much as you might think, and, and I think he's an amazing receiver, he's not going to make a hundred million, whatever the top of his contract is, because that in order to do that, like the Saints have to go to the Super Bowl every single year and win. So you got to look at that likely number, which for him, I think is also very high. And, but that's more the one to base your valuation off of, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's something that I kind of learned when, when, when digging more into the Le'Veon Bell situation from last year because, you know, a lot of people comparing, uh, you know, the Melvin Gordon situation and the Zeke situation, but Le'Veon Bell was not signed. Like, he, he didn't sign his franchise tender, and he, he got offered a deal that everyone thought was, was better. But when you look into it, the, the Jets deal – probably ends up uh, being better than, than, that, than the deal the Steelers offered. But you, you could never really tell by just seeing the numbers float past the TV or, or hearing somebody talk about it uh, for two seconds. I think that's why a lot of these backs are kind of like looking at him and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to kind of do what I have to do to, to get paid as well. Sean, what is your kind of prognosis for Zeke and how many games he's going to miss, if, if any? When are you going to start getting worried and, and start docking him in your projections? <laughs> I mean – uh, hell if I know. That's something that you know, we're definitely in the range where I'm really worried. So I'm probably not taking him fourth overall. I know I said that two days ago, but that's how the situation is. Uh, we're allowed to update our opinion. 
So I, I think I pass nope, on. You're never allowed to update your opinion. <laughs> exactly. ever. That's what I've learned from Twitter. That's yeah. That's why I avoid hot takes because I, I want to be able to uh, change my opinion accordingly. So yeah, uh, I'm very worried about it now. I think having the fourth pick in a draft is probably the worst <laughs> position to be in right now. But you know, just going back to the whole running backs don't matter thing, I, I tend to agree with Cynthia. It's it's a bit overblown when it comes to you know like point spreads or something. I think a more accurate thing. Uh, then that might be only quarterbacks matter if you want to go that route. But they play the Giants week one, and right now they're minus eight. Um, if Zeke does hold out and he doesn't play, I think it'll only drop to about seven and a half, maybe seven, but that's a key number. So I don't even know if they'll drop that far. So I think even a leap back like Zeke probably only impacts the spread by a half to a point, but that's still a lot for running back. So I think he does matter. But yeah, when it comes to any player outside of QB, it's really hard for an individual player to affect the spread. But still, you need to construct your roster top to bottom in order to win games. And I, you know, I think Zeke is definitely a top three back in the league. So that's why I don't think it's fair just to say running backs don't matter as a whole. I think it's much more complicated than that. And Cynthia pretty much hit the nail on the head with uh, her soapbox speech there. Um, I agree completely. Just so you know, I wouldn't be worried about Zeke not coming. I think he's there. I think he'll be there. I mean, I hope so because he is it's just so difficult to project him because missed games are just, it's not one of those things you can easily just kind of get a handle on. You know, there's, there's I don't think there's a necessarily a, a right way. One thing I can say for the Cowboys, they did build through the offensive line. Um, so if a situation like this were to happen, they could survive for a week here and there, especially, you know, to start the year at home against the Giants, if it were to drag into to, to week one, I think they would, you know, be fine. In that They're going to be fine until week four when they play the Saints. But I'm going to tell you, I do not think that happens. Like I, I will, I would be so surprised if that didn't happen. Good to know. So, just so you know. Like that, yeah. I, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't break news. That's not my job. <laughs> and I will say, I have to give a shout out to my, um, there's a guy at the Ravens, there's a guy at the Cowboys. They're like tied for who I think does the best analytics in terms of team level and the league. But my guy at the Cowboys is a big O-line guy. So like, I got to give him a little, give him a little love. He, he always helps me understand like how to, how to look at things when I get, when I get tricked. Super Bowl matchup. Let's talk. Let's before we get out of here. Let's talk Super Bowl. Who's your best bet, Cynthia, to represent in the NFC? And who do you think they're up against in the AFC? And who who wins? I don't have the I don't have any of the market information for me because I work for the NFL and I obviously can't know that stuff. Um, so if I'm just going and look, I haven't gone through training camp yet. Like I I do like a very good job of making sure my models are all blind. So after week three, everything goes in again. I rename them something. My gut right now says that the most popular pick that other people are going to pick is probably going to be Chiefs Eagles would be my guess for for gut and for me like if I'm if I'm telling you who I think I think we probably see and I hate to say this because it's super boring but I think we might do Patriots Saints or Patriots Bears one of the two uh Sean who is your 2019 Super Bowl matchup and who you got winning so I have the Colts over the Saints. Going a little smart contrarian here. They're not my two uh, highest rated teams, but I, I just love to see the Colts for Saints. I think both teams are pretty complete. Um, I already have uh, Saints 11-1 to ticket to win it. So I'm anticipating, you know, Colts and on some miraculous play in the Saints, uh, Destiny is vanished once again. So I, I have Colts over Saints as my uh, Super Bowl pick. You know, they're very well coached. Uh, I think the defense got better a lot quicker than everyone expected. But Andrew Luck was, you know, in, in those situations that can regress, um, he, he was amazing. Third down, red zone, 
Um, and if he's not there and they need a bit of luck, it, it's going to be difficult to rely on Jacoby Brissett. Uh, my Super Bowl pick, Kansas City Chiefs over the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm. That's what I think. That's what I think most people will pick. I, I mean, I think I think the, the Eagles' schedule. I think that's what you know. Have, getting to play those four games against the Giants and uh, in Washington Redskins, I think helps a lot in terms of securing a buy. And this is a team that the bottom line is we've seen them win even when we've counted them out before. I mean, um, you know. It, who knows what, what could happen if Carson Wentz goes down? Maybe they make a move for somebody. I don't know. But um, I think Doug Peterson and, and, and that coaching staff does an amazing job. And, and the Chiefs, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not betting against Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, I, I, if anything, I, I'll take – I'll bet against uh, an aging Tom Brady, hoping it will finally be the year. Cynthia, man, this was a great conversation. I really thank you again. For, uh, for yeah, thank you out. so much for having me. Tell all the listeners out there where they can find you and what you're up to. So they can find me Twitter, C Freeland, uh, Instagram, Cynthia Freeland, and NFL Network stuff. Like we got some new stuff coming out, but for sure we need to have game day morning and fantasy live next season. And then right now we're in training camp, so you can find me kind of, you know, here in, in Detroit for a couple more days. <laughs> but then I'll be back to, to California and actually. Um, I haven't said it yet, but well, I'm actually going to be bringing some analytics to the sideline in the preseason. So I'm going to be doing four games for that. Some Jets games and some Ravens games. And I'm very excited to be able to do that. So we're adding, we're just adding some storytelling using numbers on the sidelines. We're real psyched about that. Yeah, that is definitely something to look forward to. Again, this is a must follow people. C Freeland on Twitter. NFL Network, Game Day Morning, Fantasy Live. Sean Corner, you can find him at the underscore odds maker. His positional tiers articles are out right now on actionnetwork.com, so be sure to check that out. Also, be sure to check out our cheat sheet builder uh, as well as all of our coverage on win totals, uh, futures, everything else um, you can possibly think to bet on for this. By the way, you know my favorite thing about the Action Network app is? Sorry, I have to say this. I think that in the, the tracker, like while you're watching, is rad. Yeah. It kind of gives me a little anxiety, but it's it's awesome. <laughs> oh. Like it gives me that good anxiety, you know? <laughs> Thank you for that. Like you just pumped the Action Network app and told people how great it was, and I didn't even have to do it. So you heard the woman, go download the Action Network app. It is really amazing. And stay tuned because later in this week we're gonna have another Action Network NFL podcast. But until next time, for Cynthia Friedman, Sean Corner, I'm Chris Raybon. Take care.